Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Our guest this week is Stephanie Jarris. Stephanie is the Director of Research for the Department of Defense Counter-Insider Threat Program. And in 2018, she created the Threat Lab, which is a program dedicated to integrating the social and behavioral sciences into insider threat programs. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, and we have worked together at Institute for the Future. And uh, I just was really excited to have you on Cool Tools. And so here you are. How's it going, Stephanie? It's going well. Thank you so much for reaching out and for inviting me. I am I am convinced that these are my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily. We're just so delighted that you can join us and we're excited to hear what we want to share with us. And the first one we're going to talk about is a pair of pajamas, which is fortunate because my wife was just talking about wanting to get some for an up, some upcoming travel. So yes, my first item is in fact a pair of pajamas. But before I get into that, let me just say a couple of things. So one, my boss and my lawyer have said that I need to make it very clear that I am not speaking for the Department of Defense, lest anyone out there think that the Department of Defense is endorsing a pair of pajamas. <laughs> um, they are yeah. not. Uh, and so I just needed to make sure that that was very clear. Let's right. duly yeah. noted. <laughs> um, you know, the likelihood of this ending up on the front page of the Washington Post, I would think is quite low, but perhaps yes. my boss you and my, you, you never, never know, know. my right, boss right. And, and my lawyer may know something I don't. And the second thing is when you invited me to do this. I, I of course, knew you, Mark, but I don't know you, Kevin. We've never met, and I wasn't familiar with your podcast. And so I committed myself to picking and locking in my choices before I listened to previous episodes. Mm. And that was both a good idea and perhaps a bad idea. <laughs> um, a good idea because it these four items, they, they are themed. Um, and it really got me thinking about, well, what, what do I do? What do I not do? And, mm -hmm. and so many things were on the list of things I don't do. I don't garden. I don't cook. I don't exercise. I don't, um, have kids. I don't have a mortgage. And I realized, wait a second, this is now spiraling a bit out of control. <laughs> and that that can't possibly be <laughs> the message that Mark is trying to tell me about my life. Uh, and so I, I thought, well, there are things that I, I do, but they really do seem to fit into this how to be a, a middle-aged shut-in. And so that was the theme. Um, Excellent. You know, an emotionally stable, healthy, uh, middle-aged shut-in is, is well, what that's I really our, that's our, on. That's most of our audience. So you're, you're so. going to talk to them. Well, yes. so that may be your <laughs> audience, but that is a wonderful transition into why it was bad that I did not listen to the other episodes because I listened to Douglas Copeland invite you to dinner. 
And <laughs> I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing on this podcast? And Douglas Copeland and, um, oh, who was the other? Um, Andrew Maine and Nick Bilton. Um, I have all of their books. And I've met oh, Vanessa great. Mason and yeah. her impressive oh, research. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And all of these people had such wonderful tools. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have pajamas. So maybe this will connect with a new audience or a slightly different audience or audience members who had to look up the word oscilloscope like I did. (laughs) No, it's, it's, we, we love it that there's such a huge variety. That's why we keep doing this. And, um, I don't think we've had anybody suggest pajamas before, but that is exactly why you're here. Yes. All right. So well, tell us about why uh, these pajamas, how they're better than other pajamas, and why you love them. So I I am a bit of a subject matter expert in sleeping. In fact, <laughs> I... Good, are you a good sleeper? I am an excellent sleeper. I don't know if I was a good sleeper when I was a baby. I should ask my mom. I'm seeing her in a couple of weeks, um, fingers crossed with COVID restrictions. But yeah. what... What my Olympic sport would be is napping. <laughs> I I can fall asleep anywhere. I can fall asleep sitting up. I can fall asleep on a plane. I know some people can't do that. When I used to commute and live on the East Coast, I would travel from Baltimore to Washington, D.C. every day, taking the 6.13 a.m. express. I would be out by 6.15 and then promptly wake up when we pulled into the station. Uh And so I, you know, and I know a lot of people cannot do that. Um, And so, yeah, Yeah, it's a superpower. Okay. It really is. Is this your uniform? Is this your saying? This is my, yes, this is, yeah. I feel like, should I get like badges, like merit badges? I think think you should have some designer colors too. I mean, I've been in relationships in the past where um, someone has come, I've been napping and someone's come into the room to make sure that I'm not dead. Um, <laughs> and and that's very kind of them. Um, but <laughs> um, so let, let's get to these pajamas. So I have explored a number of pajamas over the years, and I have often found one of two things or both. One is they do not hold up multiply or washed multiple times, they just start to really thin out um, to the point where it's not that they're see-through, but you're they're really not of a high quality. And so um, they're just, they fall apart a little bit. And then the second thing is they shrink. And so I uh, went with these particular pajamas from L.L. Bean specifically because uh, they hold up really well. They're a bit pricey. So, you know, you they are a bit of a treat, um, but they hold up very well. And being in COVID, I don't know about either of you, but I have not been to an office space since March of 2020. And we mm-hmm. have had no instruction that we are going back at least until March of 2022. And so, 
They really, yeah, yeah. And that is not the same for the East Coast. You know, the people Mm -hmm. have already been called back to the Pentagon, at least on, um, you know, not quite a hundred percent, but there are people who go in and out every day. And there are people who go to our headquarters office on the East Coast every day or a couple of times a week, I think. But there have been a lot of changes to our office space on the West Coast. And I I don't think we're really going to be going back anytime soon. And so I can say with authority that these pajamas are getting washed once a week for the last (laughs) now more than 52 weeks. Um, Uh And And they're holding up. They are. And I do not. So one of the things that I love to do is I do love to clean, but I didn't put any cleaning products on this. Um, But if I had a fancy washer and dryer, I would be less inclined to say so strongly that these pajamas hold up. But I have such a garbage washer and dryer that's in this apartment. Um, and so I, it's older. I mean, it has to be older than, I mean, definitely people's children um, who were born in the 90s. So um, <laughs> these things, I, I don't even know if you can still get these um, at Sears or wherever it is you buy these sorts of things. So it's a crappy washer and dryer. These things are getting washed all the time and they hold up. Number two is though, they do shrink um, these particular. And I know that because I've now bought two different sizes to test them out. So these are really user tested pajamas, which the more I talk about this, the more embarrassed for myself, I kind of get. Um, no, but anyway. No, you should be. And, and as a matter of fact, I have the L.L. Bean plaid uh, nightgowns. Do you same, really? Yes. And that's what I wear every night. And I that's have the so flannel, cool. the plaid flannel, L.O. Beans plaid flannel, little, uh, flannel nightgowns. And oh. um, I can attest for everything you said. That is absolutely. See, we connect in such strange yes. ways. I know. I love and I it. also have the superpower of sleep. <sighs> I am a robot. I have a little switch. I turn on and I'm out. And then at the right time, I automatically wake up and I'm on. Oh, I and don't have it. that one. That one I don't have. Getting out of bed takes an act of Congress every day. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I'm just uh, like a light bulb off and on. Wow. Um, So, but so maybe this because of these pajamas. It could Um, be. It could could be. Right. Yeah. So they they do shrink and they kind of shrunk in weird places. They shrunk in the arms and they shrunk across in the shoulders. So definitely go up a size. Um, I found that that has worked really well. I don't know if that's the case with the nightgown as well, but that's, I've got the, uh, the, the two kind of shirt and pants version. Right. Right. That's wonderful. Okay. So that's L.L. Bean, uh, plaid pajamas. uh, I keep thinking flat, plaid flannel, but I think flat, flat is even better. I love that. There you go. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Stephanie, tell us about your second, um, Cool tool. So one of the things that I do spend a lot of time on is reading. Um, I mentioned that I used to live on the East Coast and I lived in a in a pretty big house. And when I downsized and moved to California, I got it in my head that I was going to become a Kindle person. And so I donated hundreds and hundreds of books that I had accumulated over the years. And I got to California and I was just so sad. I was so very sad. I missed my beautiful books. And what did I do? I bought them all back. And so, which is, 
I mean, if there are any rational choice scholars out there, any economists <laughs> out there who want to talk about the irrationality of consumer behavior, uh-huh. that is a They should fantastic. interview you. Right, they right, should. Right. Um, <laughs> but I love that. I, I've always considered books to be artwork when they're mm-hmm. all on the shelf and you can see all yeah. their covers or their, mm-hmm. their spines. Exactly. They're just beautiful. Yeah. Then you should so, see Kevin's library. He's yeah, you're, I'm, I'm in the middle right now, sitting in a two-story library <gasps> right now, surrounded by way too many books. Oh, um, what a wonderful so, gift to yourself. It is, it is. And I tell you, nothing makes me as happy as having all my books in sight. Yes. Um, it's a real luxury, I would have to say, but mm-hmm. um, uh, that's where I spend my days. So Yes. Yes. Oh, I understand well, that. I understand. So you have a particular book that you want to suggest? Yes. And it it's John Kerry Rue's book, Bad Blood. And when I did look at your website, I, I found it on there. And so I don't know if Cool Tools has already talked about this book, but what I... I think Mark's a fan of the, of the book, right? Yeah, I read it and I really liked it a lot, but uh, uh, tell, tell us about it. I wanna, yeah. So what I love about this book and so many others like it. I mean, I could have picked uh, so many of them that are about this this phenomenon of the entrepreneur celebrating the inventor, the people who break down, make, uh, make new things, break down barriers, challenge conventional thinking, and everyone loves them until they don't. And then they just flame out. And it's fascinating to me. I, you know, on my nightstand right now is the new investigative journalism book on WeWork. And I've always Mm. thought of kind of Adam Newman as that East Coast version of Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Holmes. Mm -hmm. And this book, and this is one of the questions that I was so excited to ask you both about, because the culture, something about the culture of Silicon Valley made this experience and made Elizabeth Holmes possible. And she, for those of you who aren't familiar, there's a podcast and I think there might even be an HBO documentary out there. And this book, it is about a Stanford student who later dropped out, who wanted to invent a machine that with just what, one, two, three, four drops of blood, not vials, but drops of blood could diagnose a variety of conditions in humans. And she was able to successfully secure millions upon millions of dollars of capital, a very impressive board of directors, including, I believe, General Mattis, um, Secretary Schultz, And of course, the machine never worked. And if I recall correctly, she also partnered with a pharmacy chain. I can't remember which one it was. Walgreens, CVS. CVS, And got these machines into some of these stores that consumers around the country or in parts of the country used. And in some cases, they were diagnosed with diseases they didn't have. Mm. Or they were shown to not have diseases or conditions that they did have. And what is most fascinating to me is, as somebody who uh, has sociology degrees in the sex uh, sociology of sex and gender, it's a woman who pulled it off. I always get 
a little excited uh, and feel that feminism has moved forward when women get busted for doing really bad things. Um, you know, well, it's a little, the villains. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it is. It. It's real. It's progress. It really is. Um, when we are entering white collar crime, um, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a little bit about why this story just captured my attention because unlike stealing money or something like stealing something else, this was people's health. This was, these were life and death decisions that people could have made when they got the results of these tests. And -hmm. there were so many red flags along the way. There were employees who knew things weren't right. Obviously I didn't work there. And so I, I just know what's in the book and in the media coverage, but there are enough people who said that it was a terrible environment. It was toxic. It was mean. It was, it was people came and go, people came and went all the time. And so I just, not having been born and raised or had a career in the Silicon Valley, how do you two think that something like this could happen? I, you know, it's funny because it's kind of like a last half empty, half full. For me, um, it's sort of actually um, what's interesting is that it doesn't happen more often. I mean, the the fact that they have this, this one is kind of a rare thing. Uh, it's actually um, amazing that it doesn't happen more often. And there aren't really that many that do happen that way. And it didn't, you know, it didn't go – maybe in another era it could have gone on even longer. And so maybe the thing about it is that it was discovered so soon. Um, you can say, well, how far you got pretty far, but again, because we have this very strong investigative, um, tradition, uh, you know, the wall street journal, they were able to, to break it open. And if, if you have that kind of, uh, force of investigative journalism and it's only finding one of these every, I don't know, so often that's amazing. That means that basically it's a pretty good system. That's interesting. That is really interesting because those are some of the questions that we ask for those of us who study, you know, in my case, espionage or workplace violence or IT sabotage, the fact that they are these high impact events, but why don't they happen more often? Right, Um, exactly. Right. You know, why don't people steal things more often (laughs) or sell them when you... If you did the, I mean, I won't say if you do it right, but <laughs> if you do it once um, and you do it for yeah. enough money and you really plan it out, maybe you could get away with it, but maybe not. So yeah, yeah. that's a really, so, that's a fascinating point. I love that. Yeah, that's because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an off the chart optimist. So I tend to see these things. Uh, for me, what progress is a lot about is about the things that don't happen. Um, and so a lot of what progress is about is, is the things that, would normally have happened in the past that don't happen as often now, like the two-year-old child who does not die of smallpox or whatever, yeah. or the, the, yeah. the, the family who was, who was not robbed of all their surplus. And so, and so um, for me, the, the, the real thing is not the fact that these happen every now and then, it's that they, they don't happen more often. And that's something that we can, um, you know, celebrate in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. The fact that, 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 you know, there's a best-selling book because it's so rare. Right. Right. That's a, what a great way to think about it. One of the things that stood out to me 
is how it's mainly Elizabeth Holmes is taking the fall for something that I think the true, like the real power players, David Bo- Boas, Boas, that, that lawyer, mm-hmm. um, Schultz, uh, all these like very powerful men. As who are soon not as, in Silicon Valley, by the way, who are yeah. East Coast people. As soon as, as soon as things started getting bad, I, I really feel like they knew everything that was going on. They were in the meetings. They could have pulled the plug. They could have, but they just kept this lie perpetuating because they were hoping to profit from it. And then as soon as things got bad, all the blame fell on her. She's not the only one who, mm-hmm. you know, is, is part of this, uh, issue. And, and for her to, to be the scapegoat as, well, I, no, I'm not the scapegoat because I, I do think that she she did terrible stuff, but there were other players who were getting away with it. Now, Kevin, you just you made the comment that these are East Coast people um, who were on her board, and so I want I want to know more about what you mean by that because you're right, and I hadn't thought about that either. Um, well, you you'd ask the question that this was a, a this was kind of like um, what about Silicon Valley stuff, and I'm saying. Um, Yes, it, it, the the organization, the company wasn't um, in Silicon Valley, but a lot of the high-powered people were not in Silicon Valley. And I think that was part of the problem, is that they were a little bit more easily bamboozled mm-hmm. by this. Whereas in my yeah. recollection, a lot of the people in Silicon Valley had no, wanted nothing to do with it. That's uh, interesting. Be, be, because that they were saying, that this is this is like, this is not working. This is, they there was this kind of underground, uh, invisible thing of like, no, I don't believe this. And um, they were hands off and it was sort of like the East coast people who were kind of buying into this idea. Oh, I'm, I can now be part of the Silicon Valley and they were drinking the Kool-Aid. So um, that's really interesting. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah. All so, those lessons learned and the, there was yeah. a couple other ones that did come like the Juicero, Juicero one. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Juicero. Juicero. Yes. Yes. There was a couple other things when there was like, they were overbuilding something that was just way beyond and they just didn't have any clue about what actually people were doing and they got a high evaluation. There was less of, um, what's the word we want? Um, fraud. It was more of incompetence there, mm-hmm. but, um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure we'll have another one, another fraud case come up. That's kind of inevitable. But I think um, in general, at least in Silicon Valley, um, whereas people do bite into the hype, there's also a pretty good hype detector sense uh, and plenty of people who are um, have BS filters in um, to, to kind of, um, you know, raise the alarm. So, so um uh, I, I think in general that uh, Silicon Valley um, is still in a pretty healthy state mm-hmm. um, and that this bad blood with the Theranos is, is not really a significant sign other than the fact, hey, the system does work. Well, there certainly are, just off the top of my head, far more regular contributions to my library that come out of the banking sector. <laughs> um, you know, I, now yeah, I'm really right. thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Adam Newman and uh, his wife is also to me the most one of the most fascinating people and and the 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 brain gymnastics that it would take to go from we have successfully created 
a leasing company or a real estate rental company. So now we can create a school uh, is is fascinating to me, how you go from one area of expertise to a generalist mm-hmm. um, and how we celebrate uh, people until we don't. And then how we how we recover in the stories that we tell. So I I'm so glad that that you shared your thoughts with me because that really is a great way to think about this. Right. So um, let's shift to something less profound. But oh maybe yes. More interesting. But equally important. But equally important in the grand scheme if of things. If not more. Yeah. If not more. And mm-hmm. let's talk about cat charmers. Yes. <laughs> so. I don't even think I needed to say that I have cats. <laughs> I think that any person listening to this already knew that. Who would have guessed? I know, I know. And I I am actually allergic to cats. And so wow. my sinus surgeon was, I think, personally disappointed in me when she said, you know, that's that's not helping your sinuses. And she almost dared imply that I get rid of my cats, but then I gave her a look. Um, (laughs) And, you know, she just kind of shook her head and said, hey, you know, if you want to put my kids through college, by all means, I'll take your money. Um, And so for years and years and years, I grew up with dogs, big dogs, um, St. Bernard's. And then um, I was never a cat person. I never understood what the point of them was. Um, my aunt had a wonderful cat though. And I kind of thought of him as an exception. Uh, my brother's cat, you never saw, uh, it only came out at night, uh, and would wander around the house and just was this crabby patty of an animal. And then I lived in Baltimore and for whatever reason, we, I got it in my head that I needed a cat because we lived, uh, my partner at the time, we lived in a very old Victorian home. We had mice and he was about to go on a work trip for nearly two months. And I thought, well, I bet if I get a cat, I really won't have to do much with it and it'll take care of my mice problem. So we went to the local shelter and there was just the most affectionate, beautiful cat. She was a little pudgy. Um, so we thought, okay, we'll take her to the vet and we'll we'll put her on um, on a light diet, but she was otherwise healthy. And so we were really happy and she had, um, you know, been spayed. And so we were all set. And 30 days, 30 days after um, we got her, I, she was in bed with me in the middle of the night. My, my partner was gone and I heard a noise I had never heard before. And she had just given birth. Oh my God, that's why she was pudgy. Uh huh. And we had put her on a low calorie oh, diet and she had uh. no prenatal care. And uh. Uh, I, call, I called the all night vet. And I don't know if they record their messages for training purposes, <laughs> but the words that came out of my mouth, um, it, was, it was three or 3.30 in the morning. And, you know, the woman's sweet as can be, thick Baltimore accent. She's like, are you sure it's a kitten? Maybe she brought you a mouse. And so I'm like, okay, oh well, my God. let me look, dumb enough. Like, well, of course, what else would it be? And uh, so it's a kitten. And she said, well, <laughs> um, she's, she's going to have more. 
And I was <laughs> I was dumb enough to ask. I was like, well, how many more? <laughs> and she's like, hon, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? And so I found a box. We hadn't lived in the house very long. I put Ilsa, uh, who was the name of the cat, uh, named after one of my professors. I put her in a box and her first baby into a box. And we sat on the floor and uh, three more kittens came. And they, she was a calico and all different colors came out. And then uh, I went and I took a shower and I came back and her last one was there. Uh, and so she ended up with five. And ever since, I have been a cat person. Hey, wait, wait. So, so did you keep all five? So I was a bit ridiculous about um, screening who was eligible to adopt one of these cats. Um, this is, is this such a good reason why I don't have human children? Because I know I would be a ridiculous parent. Um, <laughs> and so we kept, uh, we kept one and then the other four went to pre-screened colleagues of mine. Um, and one person had actually recommended a friend of hers who was looking for a kitten. And I spoke with this person on the phone and I just didn't get the feeling that she was going to be a good fit. So I had to decline her. Is, is this the kind of a case where if people had been screening you, they would not have let you have a cat to begin with? Oh my gosh. They wouldn't even let me have a driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, no, of course not. <laughs> Um, I'm also one of those people that um, I will make something that you're supposed to build, like an Ikea desk or something like that. There are only, what, two or three tools that are required, mm -hmm. the Allen wrench, maybe yeah. a screwdriver. By the end of the day, I will have a mallet out. I will have super glue out. <laughs> I might have the drill out. So it it really is... It, yeah, the screening, I guess, goes both ways. But <laughs> I have been a cat person ever since. And the cat uh, Peanut Butter is one of my cats right now. And the only toy that she has liked consistently, even on a daily basis, is this rainbow cat charmer. And what's particularly funny is I didn't even buy it for her. Um, when I first started dating my my boyfriend, he was he was so smart. He sent me a gift or brought me a gift, and he brought a gift for the cat. Oh, he knows the way oh, to your heart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so yeah. I mean, there is a little piece of dating advice <laughs> to your audience. I can't even remember what good. he brought me. I have no idea. Maybe a book. <laughs> a, Maybe a yeah, flowers. So, yeah, I have no so, idea. So describe the cat charmer for those like me who have no idea what what this could possibly be. So it's about a foot long plastic stick. And at the end of it is a ribbon. So kind of think of rhythmic gymnastics that you'll see at the Olympics. And instead of the ribbon on the end, it is a rainbow covered fleece, um, not so much of a string, but more of a sock, kind of a narrow sock. Mm -hmm. And I've had a couple of these little stick toys and I've had some break when you're playing and the cat pulls too hard um, and the thing pops off, you know, the string just detaches from the plastic handle 
I've had one that was elastic that was really fun. So the cat could pull on it. and But then it inevitably snapped and somebody got an elastic band to the face. Um, and so that was never good. So this Ooh. one is not stretchy. Um, you won't get that service out of it. But for whatever reason, every single night, this uh, this cat uh, wand, I guess, it's it lives in the kitchen. I put it on the counter. Every night when I get into bed and I turn off the light, peanut butter goes into the kitchen, pulls it off the counter, and drags it into the bedroom and asks me to turn the light back on and play with her. Oh, wow. Every night. Smart cat. Every wow. night. So is it, does it appeal just to that one cat or is this general universal cat appeal? So I don't think, so I do have a second cat. Her name is Chief Justice mm -hmm. and <laughs> she lives under the bed. She really likes it, but I feel like there's some sort of a relationship negotiation that has gone on between Peanut Butter and CJ mm. that Peanut Butter would prefer not to have her toys played with by right. CJ. So CJ Just will watch it with really big eyes and occasionally I'll, I'll dangle it in front of her and she'll jump at it. And um, she kind of understands what mm -hmm. she's supposed to do with it. I don't, she's a very, very pretty cat, but I don't know that she's so bright. Um, so after a while, she just gets confused and runs back under the bed. I and see. then peanut butter can reestablish right. her dominance. We're, we're not a, a pet family, but what I do have in the drawer for visiting pets, a red laser. Oh, that's and, smart. Um, and I'm wondering, like, how does the cat charmer compare to a red laser in terms of um, entertainment value? So um, you will not be surprised to know that I have also evaluated a variety of lasers. <laughs> and the one that I settled on is a hands-free device. So you can just turn it on and for 15 minutes, it has a red laser that goes on the floor. Yeah. And for whatever reason, peanut butter, she cares about that for maybe 30 seconds and then oh. she's done but the this goofy what is it seven dollars eight dollars something like that uh -huh. this goofy fleece rainbow wand every night she loves she jumps she grabs it she eats it i don't know why i don't know if it has a certain smell it doesn't even have catnip inside of it you know some toys will have catnip inside Mm -hmm. This one doesn't, so I don't know what goes on in that little brain of hers, <coughs> but she loves it. I mean, that's a good one. We we have we had three cats and one passed away, but we still have two, and they're both very playful. So this sounds like a good mm -hmm. thing to try. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, this is uh. So anyway, as you said, it's about seven dollars, and it'll last forever, and you'll never regret a purchase of it if you have a cat. What's a What's a fourth uh, tool for you? Um, so this one again is. There was no other guest that you had who mentioned something as idiotic as this. Well, um, actually, there was. There was really. Um, yes, Jane Metcalf. Um, talked a lot about um, a skin, um, yeah, skin care, 
skincare, kind of moisturizer, vitamin. I don't know what it was, but it was something that she was very enthusiastic about. So um, we are, this is uh, a, an official category for cool oh, tools. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It thank you for lifting is. me up. Thank you. <laughs> um, so this is my, this is my moisturizer with SPF 50. And I remember reading an article once that said anything above maybe a 30 is just marketing. It's a lie. I mean, what is I've heard that. Too. Yeah. I mean, I own SPF 100 I, and I know it's meaningless. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, this is my wow. Dermalogica Skin Recovery SPF 50 Anti-Aging Moisturizer. It seems like the more words that are in a product, the more <laughs> likely I am to buy it. <laughs> and the more like, expensive it is. Oh, this is not cheap. Um, this is not cheap at all. This is another treat. And what's even goofier about something like this. So obviously to be a shut in, you, um, you need to be wearing sunscreen if, and when you do go out, hopefully not in your pajamas, but nothing wrong. If you do in fact go out in your pajamas or with your cat, um, and so the the SPF 50 works really well. I can attest to that. What I can't attest to is I've been using this since I was in my late 20s and it says it's anti-aging. I don't know what that means. Um, You're still we, 20 though, right? Exactly. I mean, I mean yeah, we, we right. use all these products. <laughs> and I remember when I first bought an eye cream because of course somebody told me that I needed to. Um, and I thought, well, I'm just going to use it on one eye and for like 20 years and see what happens. Um, and we'll see if the other eye actually looks different. But I, I wasn't bold enough to do that. That would have been <laughs> such an interesting that would have been. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Today, so the, today, if you had a YouTube channel, you would do that. Yes, for sure. exactly. I know. I know. I would. I really want to hope that there would be a visible difference. I mean that Uh like my one eye would, I don't know, maybe would have fallen out or (laughs) my lashes would have gone prematurely gray. I have no idea. Well, there was actually a truck driver who did this experiment. Really? Yes. The side of his face on the window was completely weathered. Oh, yes. That would make sense. And the other side of the face inside the cab was not... And it was sort of horrifying in some sense because the difference was very noticeable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, so he, yeah, he definitely should have used cream on that side of his face the entire right. time. Right. So I have, you know, I have my uniform of flannel pajamas or um, what did we call them? Uh, flads, flad. flads. Flads. I have my flads and I have my reading material, my hashtag feminist reading material. I keep my my cat entertained and my skin looking not so much like an indoor vampire, but very moisturized and protected against the sun at a, and costing me a small fortune. Um, but I'm convinced. I'm really convinced. That- the only thing it needs now is we need actually a term for this demographic, this cohort, this thing, this subculture that you're talking about. Cat lady doesn't do it? <laughs> no, I don't think shut in or any of these work. I think we need something. I think we need something like otaku in Japanese or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was uh, thinking about all the other products I, I could have listed and I thought, oh, I have I have great flannel sheets. I have great blackout curtains. Um, I have 
this wonderful, you know, other book or pod, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. So I do think, I mean, there is a there is a market for all of these pieces, and I imagine that COVID um, has made them even more popular. And when I was listening to Vanessa Mason's podcast, and she talked about you know bullet journaling and uh, people who have explored new hobbies in COVID, and I I think she talked about people who working who are working hard to self improve. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that's not me. <laughs> like, I, I, I know that there's people out there, but I, I didn't buy a Peloton. I didn't do that. So did well, either I, of I, you learn a new hobby or do new things during COVID? Uh, I try to learn something new every year. So I, I've learned a procreate this, uh, this app for the iPad to draw. So I'm, hmm. I'm trying to draw, learn, learning to paint or draw the thing that it allows me to do is to pick colors. Cause I'm, I was really bad in kind of mixing colors, but I can mm-hmm. pick colors really nicely. So um, that's what I've been doing. That's I don't know amazing. about Mark. Mark, what have you been? Um, yeah, I have uh, picked up doing art more and your, doodle, your doodles. Yeah. Doodling quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. And I've also been um, experimenting with the Arduino more and, trying to uh, make synthesize music synthesizers with the Arduino, which is kind of pushing it to its limits. But it, that's been kind of a fun hobby on the side for me. See, and and then I just list all of the things that I, I, I didn't try. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> has to do that. I mean, yeah, I guess exactly. you, you both need audiences, right? Yes, yes, you yeah. do. Yeah, so right, I, can, exactly. I can listen to your, your tones. And I, I can I can look at your. You, see my, you can see my little scribbles. Yes, 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 yes. So that's yeah. So we yeah we form an ecosystem in that way. I okay. I love it. So I will think of myself more as the audience. Yes. For all of the new gifts that people want to share with the world. And you, we, you know, I think there are ways to be a better audience than others. Some people are better audiences than others, and so that's what you can become good at. Um, Stephanie, could you talk about your upcoming Counter Insider Threat Social and Behavioral Science Summit, which is open to the public, I believe. It is, which yes. Which is so cool. Yeah, I mean, and you where do, do we such go? interesting work and, and you're too humble. To, yeah, where do we go to join that as an audience? So now that I, I would like the entire audience to forget all of the silliness and take me seriously as a, as a security professional. Um, so one of the big things that, that the Threat Lab works on, as I said, is, is integrating this concept of social and behavioral science into insider threats uh, research because it is could a human just, problem. Could you just explain insider threat? Because that's a term that I don't think is so self-evident. Right. Yeah. So in the government, most people think of it as people who steal classified material, whether they hoard it or whether they misuse their access to go on and give it away to um, our adversaries. So spies, right? Um, But it has grown, this concept of insider threat and the misuse of privilege and access, of course, is a cybersecurity term. But it also has been expanded to those who perpetrate violence against an organization or the people in it. 
and there are multiple types of workplace violence. Uh, but the one we're most interested in is employee on employee violence and trying to prevent those events. And we so, cannot. So, so I'm, oh. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to be <laughs> sure. So you're saying insider threat would include um, employee on employee violence. That's that's in that's one example of insider threat. It is. Yep. Okay. So someone. But, but who, insider yeah. threat would be broader than just that. It would also mean like an employee who's spying for their own gain inside a company, or what? What? What would be the general? I don't know, range of insider threat just just in, in one one minute. Or one so we could think of people who steal intellectual property to start their own business. Okay, that would be a good example. Uh-huh. Uh, people who uh, depart an organization and then use the information that's in their head, sometimes okay. classified, sometimes not, and right. they use it to sell. Um, you know, hey, here's how you build a missile. Here's how you build an airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Here's how you build a microchip, or here's how you um, do that particular chemistry in order to produce this product that you can then right. go on and sell. But and then insider threat is a general term for things like that that occur both within a company as well within a f- government, or is it just mostly about a kind of a national government I think? The phrase insider threat, I think, originated in uh, an executive order, so in the government that the Obama administration issued, um, and it was actually after the Chelsea Manning leak to WikiLeaks. And so it was very focused on information. It was very focused on people who have uh, a national security clearance. You know, you think about people with top secret or secret clearances, but we've really expanded it to include anybody who may misuse their authorized access. Even if, even if it's in a corporation, not just in a... Right. A, a, and a the government. priorities, I think, may be different in a corporation, especially when it comes to uh, spear phishing. We hear a lot of concerns about unintentional insider threats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we also have that middle category of people who violate security protocols. They do it intentionally, but they do it because the security protocols get in the way of doing business. Yeah. You know? right, right. Okay, I get that. I I could fall into that one. I think, <laughs> oh, we all do. We all. I mean, imagine if we've ever had somebody who says, "I want X, Y, and Z, and I want it done now." Well, right, the right. proper way takes ten right. minutes, but well, the yeah, short or way. Or your passport has to be twenty. Your passport has to be twenty-five characters up and down, and you know that you can get away with eight or whatever. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It just makes life easier, and that's why we're trying to you know, talk to usability experts and talk to psychologists and talk to all sorts of people who actually make these tools and services more likely for people to comply with. But so those are the types of crimes that we're trying to prevent or any type of concerning behavior that may lead to that. Um, And we have realized over the last couple of years that, again, we're not going to prevent these types of cases if we simply wait around to detect them. So if we know that human behavior takes place in an individual and organizational context, right? We've all got our reasons for why we do what we do, even if we don't necessarily articulate them, but they happen inside of a corporate or an office structure. There's an environment of all the things that you could choose to do, you chose to attack your supervisor. Why did you do that? And we're making the argument that the environment of leadership, of human resources, of performance, of the interactions that you have every day with people, 
they actually affect the overall culture and environment that may affect or facilitate your decision to go on to do these insider threat activities. And anybody who's ever studied human behavior, they think, well, of course, that's fine. That makes sense. But if you haven't, that seems way out there for somebody who maybe has built their career on doing background investigations or polygraph okay. examinations. Right. So so you're having this, um, I, I guess you may call it a conference mm-hmm. or a summit, yeah. and um, you say it's open to the public. So um, what kind of people would you imagine would benefit the most by, by attending or joining or... So the conference is hosted at sbssummit.com. And right now it includes registration and you can see all the materials from our 2020 summit. But this year, registration will be opening in the next couple of weeks. And the theme is cultural intelligence. And again, not necessarily a theme that security professionals may think about as related to their work. But if we think about on a micro level, what are all the cognitive biases that are derived from who we are, where we've been, how we live, that could affect our ability to do our work as investigators and analysts? How do you interpret what you see on somebody's social media page has a lot to do with where you come from? Or do you know the person? Do you not know the person? Is objectivity truly something that can be reached in any of these things as we work to protect the workforce? And so from the micro level, to the more macro level of getting rid of toxic leaders or not rewarding people just because they make a lot of money for the organization, not promoting them if they don't have the skills, uh, the people skills. And so during the month of September, starting on September 1st, we'll open our summit and every week we will um, launch webcasts, so pre-recorded Uh, talks with researchers who are presenting their own research around this topic of cultural intelligence and improving security. And we start at the micro level, we go through the organizational level, and we have, unlike last year, we're going to be having live keynote speakers every week, which is really exciting. And we are going to be uh, featuring as well a student poster session Um, so that the future workforce can tell us about the research that they're doing. And so every Monday, when you visit, when you come back on every Monday, there will be new content there for you to look at. All of our speakers also provide recommended resources, whether it's their own, or maybe they want to recommend a book or a cat charmer or a moisturizer, although I haven't seen (laughs) any of them do that. Um, So so on this kind of virtual conference, you'll have opportunity to um, watch and listen to the presentations. Is there a chance for people to ask questions or interact with the presenters, or is it just basically um, an an audience mode? So it will be on audience mode except for the live keynotes. And the and, keynotes, and the, and the, so the, the presentations, the pre-recorded webinars, we usually ask people for about 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then the keynotes will be once a week and they will be an hour long. And there will be interaction with the audience yes. with those. Okay. Yeah. So uh, is there a fee? Is there just a, a, what is the 
Is there a website that you can go to? What's what's the general procedure for people who are interested? So you can check out sbssummit.com. It is free. It is open to everyone. In fact, my uh, sponsors who uh, supported uh, this particular conference and who have provided the resources, we had 1,300 people uh, register last year from around the world. They would love even more, and they would love as many countries as possible represented. And, and, and then, who are the sponsors? So in this case, it's the National Insider Threat Task Force. Um, is that like a U.S. Mm-hmm. A federal thing? Or It is. Yeah, it's okay. a U.S. government national task force that has the responsibility of overseeing all these insider threat programs right. that we have to create. And is this open to anybody of any nationality? It is. Okay. It is. And what we also wanted to do was once it closes at the end of September, we keep the content up. So if, for example, you're a professor and you wanted to talk about um, you know, cognitive biases, you could log in and you could show your students that video from the former you know, branch chief of security for the FBI or the FBI's uh, psychologist, chief psychologist. Um, and it's all, it's open. People can use it and you, you just have to register. And so we do ask for a, a name and an email address, but we don't require any additional information. And it's all been put through security. And so there's nothing classified. And we hope that people will use the library of resources after it closes every, every September. Well, that's fantastic. It sounds so, amazing. Yeah, we'll have links to that. And Thank you. We'll try yeah, get, you we'll can see the, the 2020 uh, site uh-huh. that's that's on right now. Yeah, and we'll try to get this up as soon as we can so that there's enough time to register. Yeah. So, um, Stephanie, this has been fantastic. I um, love what you're doing professionally. That's really great work. I have so many questions, but this would have to be another uh, another podcast sometime. Um, but thank you for sharing your, um, uh, for, for serving our shut-in cohort. And, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yes. And with these, no, it's, it's, it, these are great. These are really, um, very useful for anybody and we appreciate your sharing it with us. Well, I have so much enjoyed the conversation and, you know, Mark, we had a chance to meet on a project talking about the, threat horizons and things we should be paying attention to when it comes to protecting our workforce. And so we are always looking for new people to talk with who have ideas about what's coming next and recommendations for how we can get ahead of it. So I would love to keep talking. Absolutely, Stephanie. Thank you so much. This was so great talking to you and like learning about not only the work you're doing, um, but uh, your tools and stuff too, which are just great. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. It's your co-host, Mark. And I wanted to let you know that we have a lot more going on here in Cool Tools than just this podcast. We have our flagship website where we review a new tool every day. That's at cool-tools.org. We also have four different newsletters. We have this podcast. We have a YouTube channel where we review tools. And if you like what you hear and see and read The best way to help us out is by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cooltools and donate at any level you wish. You can even contribute $1 a month, and and that would mean a lot to us. 
the money that you give us will go towards paying for our transcribing costs, editing videos, and editing the podcast. It goes towards paying contributors who write the reviews for us. It goes towards our equipment costs, our hosting costs, and it supports our very small company of three people. This week, I wanted to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters who have been giving us at least $2 a month. And if you give us $2 a month, we'll give you a shout out online. And this week, I would like to thank Michael Sakochia, Molly Starr, M. Velderman, Opposable Thumbs, Pamela Cooley, Patrick Weyer, Paul Hosey, Randy Fisher, Stuart Burroughs Brand, Synaptic Sam, Therese Schwartz, Tom Hawkins, Tom Markham, What Bear, Javier Pangolin, David Lang, Eric Byers, Sean Hartley, Stephen Powell, Greg Lichtsteit, John Hobson, Adam Bristol, Adam Naher, Anonymous, Bill Kempthorne, Bruce I. Niles, Chris Woodruff, C. Kolos, Daryl Flynn, Egg Fliegoff, Eric Hanschrau, Eric Hoover, Godfrey Saldana, Jay Skiles, John M. Larson, Jude Galligan, Kenneth Gilman, and Lucas Frank. Thank you very much for supporting the show, and we will see you next week. We'll be right back.